After a long day of adventuring in the Forgotten Realms, it's time to kick back and take off your swift foot boots. Unbutton your cloak of billowing. Pour yourself a nice glass of elvish wine. Light up your wizard pipe. And tune in to the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast. With your hosts, Josh Caro. And Aaron Thompson. Welcome to the late night show of the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast. Yay! Which is just um, what we titled the show whenever we don't have a real theme, and we're just going to sit here and talk to each other for a bit. Exactly. So before we get into a fun little time of just nice questions that Aaron and Josh are going to answer, a little bit of business beforehand of what's going to be happening in the next couple months for the podcast. Yeah, um, so we had a great plan, wonderful schedule for when Josh was going to be out of town doing his gig. And then, um, right as Josh was getting ready to come back, I got a gig in Alaska, um, the same one that we met doing um, in 2019. So I'm actually going to be out of Wi-Fi for a while and not able to record. So yeah, there might just be a little bit more time in between episodes, probably until the fall. And we still have really fun things planned. We still have the Ravnica campaign that will be coming out. So we have a couple episodes of that in the near future. We also have some ideas for other episodes where Aaron might not be there for, but we have some really fun guests on that I'll do some interviewing for. And also, when Aaron gets back, we have some really fun one-shots planned for special things that are coming out. So there's a lot of fun stuff still for the Dungeons & Gatherers podcast. Yeah, you haven't seen The Last of Us. We thought, since it might be a little while since we all uh, both record in the same space, we just do a little nice fun chat as though we're a late night show just a little catch up you know because we haven't gotten to really chat D in a while so uh the first thing i just wanted to say just in general is that hey uh the forgotten realm set in D is coming out and that's really cool and at some point we're going to do an episode about that because we've been very excited about it it's not out in physical cards yet it's only out in arena while we're recording this podcast But it is a really freaking cool set, and it's been really awesome that a lot of the predictions that we have had have come true for this set. So what's up? Where's the job offer, Wizards? Where is it? Exactly. We we were talking about the spiral down mechanic and things like that. I want to work for you, Wizards. Please, let us do it. (laughs) So that's really cool Um, just to see, like, oh, my God, Portable Hole has a card. I... I didn't think that prediction was actually going to get anything, but it did, so that was pretty exciting. But this is not about the logistics of D&D we're talking about. We're getting to the heart of it. We're getting to the heart of Aaron and Josh in D&D today. The heart of the cards. We got some questions. Let's dive into it. Yeah. What is the next campaign idea that you have or have had for a long time and you're like, I cannot wait to implement this in some way? So I think I've talked to you about this a little bit before. And I'm not sure if I've mentioned it on the pod or not, but um, I'm really intrigued by the idea of um, it's not a low magic world, but it's a world where magic has very specific requirements. And it's loosely based on the color wheel because, like, obviously. Um, So you've got, like, five different nations that all have a different way of using magic or a different way that magic has been, like, incorporated into their society. 
of the five main kinds of casters, right? Druids, clerics, wizards, sorcerers, and bards. I didn't include warlocks because fuck them. Got them. Yeah. <laughs> um, that it like each one of them is sort of specific to a region. I think that could make some really interesting party dynamics, and they all have like different reasons for why. Right, so like they, when you trace the lineage of magic in that region, it's like the people of this country placed a special importance on religion, right? And so like the key to their magic um, comes from the heavens, and like so they're like clerics, and like that's probably where a lot of paladins are from. The campaign is also um, has to deal a lot with like environmentalism and like the effects of humanity on their environment. In the aftermath of this calamity where, um, like, a whole mountain range was built at the end of this huge war, like, a whole country is sort of, like, turned into a desert because of a shift in geography, right? Mm. And so, like, it deals with, like, desertification and, like, all of those sorts of interesting environmental factors as well and what kind of ramifications that has on people's magic especially like when there's a country whose magic is tied to the land itself i think that's a really cool idea i i'm i'm excited to see when this five color of magic world becomes mm -hmm. a reality it also this is a shameless plug but i also was like what if there was another sub race of elves that were snow elves that are like just absolutely gorgeous in design and um like they have like opalescent skin you know that ranges from like ivory to indigo and just like lots of gem tones i do like the idea of more elves elves are really cool i, I mean i will always want to be an elf that's like why i play D D. also i forgot to say this at the beginning but you brought up magic the gathering so i have to for the <laughs> forgotten realm set they released planeswalkers as D D characters oh did they so i was like dang it we really need to get hired yeah <laughs> what Hello? Yeah, so if you go to, like, the Magic the Gathering website, for anyone who's interested in this, you could go down to the bottom, and there's, like, a Chandra build, there's a Kaya, a Liliana build. It's pretty cool. What's the Liliana build? What is it? Well, see, that was the thing. I thought you would be interested, because you did do a build for Liliana. I did it build is a, Liliana, yeah. It is a level, uh, these are built at level 10. It is a level 10 warlock, the Undying Warlock. So I wasn't too far away. Warlock. Yeah, I think close. you did a pretty good job. I think you deserve a uh, hiring. An honorable mention, right? <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, the idea is very recent for me that's been playing around in my head for a campaign to run. It's based on the last podcast we had, because we made a Majora's Mask reference. I really want to run a Majora's Mask-themed and inspired campaign where the party only has three days to accomplish tasks, and depending on how far they get is how much gets saved before they go back in time and have to live those three days over and over again. So I think it would be cool because it makes long rests very like, ooh, how many long rests can we actually take in a day? Mm -hmm. Rather than just being like, oh, we're tired. We need our hit points back. Let's just take a long rest. You know what I mean? We can find an inn or something. Like it makes the long rest, oh, man, this is... Like, do we really need this long rest? Right, definitely. And you might even feel weird about taking a short rest in that world, too. Just because, like, yeah. time is of the essence all the time. I want to make my players suffer. <laughs> you know, it, I, but it, I don't know if it's suffering, but I think it, it adds an interesting, like, level of challenge that you also have to manage your resources really well. Especially, like, I'm thinking, like, as a caster, right? You have to really manage your spell slots well. Otherwise, like, you're going to run out pretty early in the day and then be screwed i uh got my mother to play a D, D campaign i think like two or three years ago that i was running 
and or I should say one shot. Mm-hmm. And like this was her first time ever playing. And the thing she said to me at the end was like, I think it's really fun, but I don't like the idea of the long rest because I feel as though no matter what happens, you could just find some place to hide and take a long rest and then you're completely fine and you keep going. Like, I want some more challenge to the game where the long rest isn't just like the, oh, perfect, we're restored. Yeah, and we're just fine. Just one night's sleep and I go from being almost dead to, you know, fit as a fiddle again. Thanks, Mom, for the idea. <laughs> I mean, it's that's one of those sort of suspended disbelief moments, right? That's like, oh, yeah. you go back up to full health, it's fine. I mean, I can imagine if you just got, like, crushed by a giant, maybe, like, your arm is broken, you know? And, like, totally. sure, there's, like, magic to help, but, like, it's still is probably tender. I don't know how I feel about this. So I know, like, in the Dragon Age games, um, at least in Origins, whenever you go down in a fight, um, and you get back up at the end, you have an injury, which can mm. then be, like, healed with another item. But that injury, like, affects your stats. And so, like, you, until you, like, fully heal, um, you are worse after you get yeah. picked back up. There's a sense of, like, all right, you want to do a battle? Like, you're actively seeking combat? Well, here are some things that can happen if it goes wrong. Definitely. And I know, like, in some, like, in Icewind Dale, um we flirted around with the injuries table granted most of them just end up with being like a cool scar and i don't really want like a permanent injury i want like a semi-permanent one that'll be around for like a couple days and then i get fine again but that's you know like i want my D character to be like happy and perfect i shall pivot to one of my questions for you please so speaking about world building i want to know what your favorite type of terrain to build in is i'm gonna answer with one that i've always known and then i'm gonna answer with one that i didn't realize i loved building in mm-hmm. uh naval campaign obviously C. obviously naval campaign I think that the possibilities are so open, and a quick shout-out to Ryan Nagelsmith. I don't want to reveal the idea because I think it's brilliant, but also came up with the brilliant idea that he texted me about to make naval campaigns even crazier when it comes to terrain. But I feel as though there's just such an openness. It's the high sea. You have a home base that moves, and there's just so much exploration that could happen on the sea. The one I didn't realize I enjoyed is the desert. Because I think that there's something with the scripters that make the desert fun when something exciting happens. Like, it is a very plain and neutral area, but if you, like, find this cavern with beauteous gems or, like, a purple worm emerges from the sand, I just feel as though it's such, like, it literally is a sandbox (laughs) for playing in to create something really exciting. And and I didn't realize, but I'm writing a one-shot right now that's, like, a... Fast and Furious in the Desert kind of one-shot. Like, I didn't realize I liked that terrain so much. Sort of like a Mad Max. Yeah, I think Mad Max is actually the better example for that. It just... Fast 9 came out and a bunch of us watched it, so uh, I got really Fast 9 vibes. Yeah, I get it. Like, um, because the desert is so desolate, you know, there's like so... There's like nothing, so that when you find something, it's a big deal. How about you? So, this is very different. Um, I am a big fan of the swamp. The swamp? The swamp. Donkey. <laughs> um, there's just so many layers to it, and there's so many different ways you can flavor having, a, like, a swamp <laughs> biome. Did you make that Shrek joke on purpose? Not at all. Good. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. It's a divine inspiration. I realized as I was doing this that so many of my D&D characters are country people instead of city people. Um, and I think that's because I grew up in the country. 
And specifically, two of them sort of come from swamps, right? So you have like Jedediah, who's like a, yeah. old, a like a bayou kind of type. And then Ariadne is also sort of from this like mangrove jungle forest type thing, right? This like river mm. town. I think I just, I like the way that like water is involved, but it's not, it's not as much as like, I live on the ocean. I just love the idea of, um, yeah, all the, like the water being around, but not being like the sole thing and having like meandering streams and like hidden paths. And I think there's so many opportunities to hide things in a swamp because like the water is murky and the vegetation is thick and it really like you have no idea what you could stumble into that's just like right around the corner. And I think that that's really exciting. Also like witchy swamp bog vibes, you know? Yes, there's a, there's a mystery and uh, like a spookiness that's mm-hmm. innately tied with the swamp. Yeah. All right, Aaron, speaking of these places that you could play in, what D&D race are you? Oh, I'm a wood elf. Every day. Every day of my life, I am that. Do you have a justification statement to why you believe you are a wood elf? Besides the fact that both Ariadne and Kiva are wood elves, I think that I've got this sort of, like, high-class snootiness that, like, a regular elf would have. Um, I I feel yeah. that posh sometimes, but I'm more like the backwoods cousin of the of this, the snooty. So if, like, oh, the high elves are, like, city slickers, right? Yeah. And wood elves are more, like... Yeah, the boondocks. I definitely feel like that's where I'm. That's where I'm from. And I spent a lot of time running around um in the woods barefoot as a kid. So, I feel that. Either that or a halfling, you know, cuz like I grew up on a farm. So, ah, yes. Half- when I said the barefoot thing, I was like halflings also don't wear shoes. So, classic halfling. And I just love like food and comfort and just like making a pot of tea and sitting on my front porch, you know. <laughs> and gardening. I was gonna guess the wood elf for you. Uh, I guess for me, I I wanna I wanna like say elf, but I feel as though like I'd be happier as like a mountain dwarf or something like that, or a hill I, dwarf. I thought you might say dwarf. I don't know, just fun, jolly. Uh, can actually have gluten. Oh, <laughs> listen. <laughs> Any D&D character I have can have bread. That's a very good point. We, I don't have to stick myself into that corner, but there's such a jolliness with dwarves that I feel as though I can relate to very well. And it's more when you realize that not all dwarves are like, they dug too deep. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Literally every fantasy dwarf ever has dug too deep. Yeah, it's, it, hill dwarves have a lightness and a levity to them. Like, greed is not their only character attribute. Mm-hmm. I'm just imagining you with, like, a wonderfully braided beard. And that would be nice, too. Just to, Well, actually, my beard's been getting really thick for the show I have to do. Oh, so but, I, but can you braid it? No. <laughs> Let's see. This is a bit of a pivot, but that's fine. Um, do it. So when you play in a party, what is your favorite role to play? So not necessarily a class, but, like, how do you like to help the party? What do you bring? Oh, this is going to be a basic answer. Healing support. I think it's very important to have a healer in the party always because I see the I see that sometimes you know there are other ways of doing it like our campaign is really just like a kill them before we get killed which is crazy there's such power in the healing class to be able to pick people up like when you go down it's not like a timer starts like you have the ability to save people mm-hmm. and that is the role that i enjoy the most and whenever i make a class usually i will make sure i have a healing spell no matter what just in case because you hate to be standing there and not have anything to be able to do 
Yes. Which is something, which is a position I find myself in more often than I'd like to. So, Aaron, where do you, where do you fit? In you know, I'm not surprised that, like that we play. have the same answer because I also love to play support. Um, specifically, though, I love to play like control support. I think hmm. Kiva is probably um, the best example of the kind of character I like to play because he does a lot of battlefield control. He, um, you know, he's got like all his entangles and he like makes difficult terrain and like is good at moving his and en- like sort of like mo- maneuvering his enemies around the battlefield and like inhibiting them. But then he mm. also has like he is the party's healer in the Underdark. And I love that. I love like when someone goes down and like I feel everybody look at me and to get to be like, I got him is such a good feeling. Interesting. Yeah, I like that. So, like, in some of our fights, I I do believe that if Kiva was a different class, like, we would have lost. Like, we would have died. I believe, yeah, Like, there's definitely. a couple, you know, like, in Gracklestug, when everyone was dying, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, yeah, so... I agree. I love I love to play support. Um and I love I just love to play casters. I know I'm currently playing around cuz Ariadne's a rogue, right? And Jin is a monk, so neither of them really have spells. Um yeah. and that's cool too. It's cool to have a lot of maneuverability outside of magic. But just like we talked about in our class bracket, the sheer flexibility that casting can give you with having so many options to a wide variety of scenarios is um it's I think that's really that's like that's what D and D is for me, but hey, and I have the utmost respect for people that like exclusively like to play tanks. So we talked about this earlier, and I think it would be fun if for the next couple questions we like rapid fire them and we guess what the other person is thinking. Of course, okay. If you could have one D and D spell in real life, what would it be? Now, before I before I try to take a guess, I do want to say that I think wish should be kind of like off limit off the table we're not gonna do wish i wasn't even thinking about like high level spells all right lower lower level here lower level that kind of thing um i have a couple thoughts um because i also am thinking about like what's your favorite spell right um yeah so all right i'm just gonna go with what i think it is so i think yours is spiritual weapon i'm going to tell you that that is definitely one that was in like the top three of what i would choose but in reality if i were to have a spell in real life it would probably be disguise self Oh, that's just that would too be fun. super cool. I mean, just yeah, you want to think about too, like you want to actually be fighting people in your real life, so you might want like a like a regular spell. Yeah, exactly, and that's why I was gonna guess for you something like healing word. Oh, like interesting. like something that could actually offer like, oh, hey, my friend is cut his knee on the. I don't know why people cut their knee. Uh, cut their <laughs> knee on a really weird set that we were doing a show on. Right, healing of course. Word. Healing word. I really could not kick high today, and I really hurt my uh, knee. Uh, healing word. Right, yeah. That would be cool. Or I'm thinking, like, enhance ability would be really awesome. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Or maybe, oh, it's a fifth level spell, but I would totally take telekinesis. Um, hmm. Just because, like, that's that's just, like, an ability I wish I had in real life. Yeah, totally. I mean, who doesn't want to read thoughts? No, that's telepathy. Oh, I keep screwing up telepathy and telekinesis. Rats. How who doesn't you? want to move things with their mind? Yes, exactly. Who? That was rough. Uh, to you. <laughs> no worries. So, what class are you least likely to play? Like, what? Like you know, if you had to pick one for your next character, like which one is at the bottom of the list? Hmm. I believe that your least likely class to play is the fighter. Interesting. 
I disagree. Well, so here's the funny thing about the fighter, right? Is like I will often take levels in fighter. I've done that twice now. Not with Ariadne yet. It's a super useful class to dip into. And I think I would like at some point to to go full fighter. Um, but I would probably play the battle master. So I don't think I could like legitimately be like, you know, I want to still have things to do. I would never play a champion fighter. No, I that's think the fair. class I'm most hesitant to play is probably the artificer. Oh, I should have guessed that. Yeah. That's all right. I think it's completely a valid point with the champion fighter. Like I find the champion fighter if someone's new to D&D, it's like here. Play this. This will be straightforward. You'll have a good time. It'll be fun. Exactly. But for you, Josh, you are probably least likely to play a monk. I'm gonna give you the ding, ding, ding on that one. Aha! Because (laughs) because it's it really is between two. It's between the monk and the barbarian, actually. Oh. So the reason why I'm saying that is that there is still one monk that I'm looking to play. It is not within, like, mm-hmm. near future, but I do want to play the Way of Mercy monk at right, some point in my life. But the reason why it's tied with the Barbarian for me is, like, I've played a Barbarian before, and I'm kind of bored of it. Mm, like, I'm not gotcha. going to lie. I think there's only so much you could do with the Barbarian. And right. I, like, if I want to do someone who's really strong... I'm more tempted to create something different, like a strong ranger or something like that, rather than playing the barbarian. Right. Or do like a forge cleric or something. Exactly. Because clerics are the best. Barbarian is one class that I have never dipped into at all. And I'm interested because I think there's part of me, even though I said I love to play um, support, part of me really does want to be the big beefy tank, you know? I want to be the one that can just, like, throw myself in harm's way to, like, protect my friends. And um, it's also just because, like, I love Yasha so much um, that I would want to play a barbarian. Totally fair. I think who who doesn't love Yasha? Right. <laughs> so, speaking of which, because you'd probably, we both want to be friends with Yasha in real life. Also, yes. Ashley Johnson, but yes, who wouldn't please. want to be friends with please Yasha? Be my friend. Out of all the Planeswalkers, oh. who would you want to be best friends with? I have two ideas. It's either Ral or Nico. And I'm going to guess Ral. <laughs> uh, if I'm going to be friends with Ral, it's because I want to be boyfriends with Ral. There are so many good options. I also think an honorable mention for the list should be Tyvar and Nyssa. That would be fun. Yeah. And I'm not sure how well I'd get along with Nico. I mean, like, I like Nico. They seem cool. I just don't know enough about them yet. I think also blue-white, I think, is a tough combination to become friends with. That's. I mean, I feel a little bit blue-white sometimes. So oh. For you, I'm going to say I definitely think that Chandra is on the list Um, and Gideon. There's actually one that I would put above both of them, and that would be Will, because I think this is going to be so nerdy, but if I was, like, hanging out at Strixhaven, I would want to be friends with him. <laughs> like, I would love to just, like, read books and hang out in the library and just, like, talk about spells and stuff with uh, him. I don't know what it is. I just, like, I was thinking, like, oh, friendship-wise. I feel as though Chandra would be too tough and Gideon would just be like, hey, you want to go out and fight a uh, horde of orcs again? And I'm like, we did that last night, Gideon. I'm not oh, kind of tired of the orc fighting. Like, it yeah. feels as someone, someone who's more down to earth. Definitely. That makes sense. Yeah, I feel sometimes like I think Rao might be a little bit too high energy for me. It's that red. It's, it's that the red, red energy. The, it's the the chaos, truly. Yeah, crazy stuff. So this is less of a lightning round and more just like a oh, we'll do one more. And I actually don't have an answer for you. I'm just curious. Um, what is your favorite monster to use as a DM? I mean, besides like a dragon, because like everybody loves dragons. That's fair. Um, I I actually talked about this I think in one of the podcasts. If not. 
I just talked to it about my Amira party, but the weird from uh, Gilmester's Guide to Ravnica. Yeah. I think weirds are very cool in the fact that they can explode based on spells used. So not only can you put the party in a situation where it's like, oh no, if we keep slinging spells at it, a weird's going to explode. But let's have like a floor of weirds and then a balcony of like evil is that sorcerers or something like that. And they keep slinging fire uh, spells at these weirds so they just blow up where the party is. Like, Mm -hmm. I think they're just like a really cool machine and mechanism to use as a tool for the villains. Definitely. I remember fighting the weirds um, and being very, like, anytime that um, the DM describes how your attack, like, it does damage, but also, like, the weird gets bigger and, like, it's scary. Um, yeah. To be like, oh no, like this is not just doing what I expected it to. Like something is amiss here. Oh, now it is a. It's getting close to gargantuan size, huh? And then it blows up. For you, what's your monster? It's hard, um, because I almost I pretty much exclusively DM'd in Ravnica, right? So hmm. I feel like we're just gonna give it to Ravnica monsters. But I love. Um, I've talked. I think I've talked about this before. I love the Krasis. Um, all oh, three yes. categories of them, yes. So they're just such a versatile, because like that's what they're designed to be, right? You can literally just like make your own, and they have like a bunch of different tables you can roll on to give them different adaptations. And I think it's it's a a very customizable monster. It gives you the feeling that you're homebrewing something while knowing that it's still going to be pretty balanced so it's not like you don't you still have some of those like creative boundaries to let you know that you're not like doing something wrong right yeah definitely shout out to the simic what's up there we go yeah you got some is and simic today i actually have one more question because i'm very curious to hear this answer of course uh Based on all the D&D source books that have been released, what world would you want to live in? It's so hard because I've been listening to so much Critical Role right now. Cause, oh. like, for some reason, I found myself with a lot of free time to just like like watch four-hour YouTube videos. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, when you're in between jobs. Um, um, so I'm tempted to say Wildmount, especially because I like Dunamancy seems so cool. Um, but like, would I even get to do that? I think I'm going to actually say Theros, though. Because I have the Theros book, and I just, like... It's such an interesting world that is so innately magical. It's, like, one of the most magical places, right? And, like, I just think everything would be super beautiful and, and like, cool. And then you get to, like, meet the gods, like, for real. Again, we talked about this in a podcast where the gods are very involved Mm -hmm. as very humanized characters. Right. And I think that's awesome. And I like that. Now, I'm not going to lie, mine's kind of a cheat. I like the world of Strixhaven, which comes out November 16th for the D&D universe. (laughs) Because here's my thought process. If someone were to come up to me and say, what world would you want to live in, like of any fantasy world you love? To me, the first two things that come to mind are like Star Wars or Pokemon. But then I think to myself like, dang, I love Star Wars, but if I ran into a Sith, I'd die. In Mm -hmm. Pokemon, it's really safe. And I feel as though there's, like, a cushion of protection. And that's what I like about Strixhaven. I'm just learning spells in a mostly safe environment. Sure, someone might try to resurrect an evil monster, but, you know, at least most of the time I'll be safe in school. So I like Strixhaven. Fair. Also, like, yeah, I didn't even think about Strixhaven. That would be dope. Um, I like the idea of magic school. 
Magic school seems so cool. Also, again, another shout out to like the magic books, because for the past two questions, that's what we've been referencing. I know. Sorry, we are in fact the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast. You should not be surprised. I almost said Ravnica, except for that city is such a nightmare. Um, yeah. Oh, and speaking of which, uh, for the DNG audience, uh, we will be talking about more Strixhaven stuff closer to the release of the book, because oh, we're, we'll be we're both very much wanting to play within that world. Yeah, if you haven't checked out the Unearthed Arcana that has all the Strixhaven schools in it, you definitely should. Very unique ways of doing subclasses, and I give them credit for trying something very new. I, I'm not saying I like it, but I'm giving them credit for trying something new. Again, I like to still call it the year of Tasha, even though Tasha came out last year. I keep trying new things to reinvent 5e. Before the inevitable dip over into 6th um, edition. Yeah, oh, oh, I don't know when that would happen. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I feel as a 5e is just, like, so beloved right now. I said that mostly as a joke. I don't e- I like, like, I'm sure at some point there will be, but... Yeah. I feel like they're just trying to, like, tweak and change and give as many optional ways to, like... I think it's one of those things where, like, the 5e bubble will just keep inflating, you know, and yeah. keep trying to, like, move on or, like, keep trying to evolve, and I'm not sure when it will actually just, like... If there will ever be a moment that they're like, actually, what if we just started over? When will the reset? When will the Majora's Mask reset happen? Oh, God. When will the world turn back a couple hours? Just a few hours. That's all. That would be cool in your Majora's Mask campaign. You do a fight, right? But then, like, you turn back the... You turn it back just, like, a few hours, and then you have to do the fight again. But keep staying tuned because we have fun stuff planned in terms of campaign or I should say one-shot related things for the D&G podcast. And we're going to get a little off D&D too sometimes, so be prepared. Oh, look out, folks. But before we wrap up, I did want to say one thing about the finale of our D&D bracket because we forgot to mention at the beginning. The finale will be coming out within the next couple months. Again, planning kind of shifted things up, but we have a really fun thing planned, and perhaps we could release some kind of teaser within the, I'll say, the next couple months before it comes out. So we're going to, that finale is coming. We're going to see who wins. We haven't forgotten about it. The Paladin and the Druid will fight. They will fight. It's scheduled. Uh, it had to get pushed back a little bit because a couple of um, dragons went onto the field and messed things up. So it's just yeah. getting polished again. <laughs> and even though Aaron and I may be far away from each other, you have the power to hear us united by liking and subscribing to the Dungeons & Gatherers podcast.